is up, everybody? Welcome in to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter, part of the Mile High Sports Podcast Network, and I'm excited to discuss this Denver Nuggets win as the Nuggets take down the Miami Heat. Uh, a, a tough, spirited game for the, the Miami Heat. Final score, 112-108, and it was a good game. This was a really fun game throughout, and you got to see Nikola Jokic get into his bag. You got to see a whole bunch of great things from uh, Michael Porter Jr. at various points, Flacco Chanchar at various points. Uh, the bench had actually definitely had some great moments. It was a it was a good all-around team win, seven nuggets in double figures tonight. And that's what you want to see, right? You don't want it all to be on Nikola Jokic, though it was very clear that Nikola Jokic was up to task tonight. Uh, Nikola Jokic dominates in a game against Bam Adebayo and looked great doing it. Like the dude was on fire. The dude was doing some crazy things against Bam and The title of this podcast is Nikola Jokic versus Bam Adebayo is light work, and that's true because it was. Uh, Nikola Jokic went to work tonight against one of the best defensive centers in the entire league, made him look small, made him look like a very small, small human being, and it was very cool to see. Uh, Joey, what's up? Abel, what's up, guys? Uh, This was a fun game. Dylan, how are you? So encouraged by what I saw from Thomas Bryant. We've got a lot to talk about tonight. We've got a lot to talk about with Jokic, just making sure that he was doing some great things. But uh, there was just a lot of awesome things tonight for a team that was undermanned, for a team that looks like probably not going to have Jamal Murray until after the All-Star break. Only one more game left uh, on its Dallas at home on Wednesday night. Probably not going to have Aaron Gordon either. This definitely feels to me like a situation where Denver's going to be a little bit shorthanded for the end of this trip. And and they, they absolutely were. But Nikola Jokic does what Nikola Jokic does, and that makes everything easier. It's very, very clear just how important he is to this Nuggets team. And I think 58 games in, it feels pretty clear that Nikola Jokic is the best player in the world right now, playing at the best player in the world level. There are other guys that you can make the case for. There's other guys where you can you can definitely say, oh, yeah, I mean, that dude was awesome. That dude had a great game. But in terms of the overall body of work, it always feels like Jokic is putting up MVP caliber performances. It's very rare when he doesn't. And I just always am in awe of the way that he does it and the way that he makes it look so nonchalant. He is always on point, and it is very rare when he's in his feelings anymore, when he's doing some odd things, the dude is just iron. Like, that's probably the way to describe it at this point. I mean, he's clearly made of flesh because if you've seen the back of his arms lately, that dude is just scratched up everywhere. He's got cuts, bruises. Uh, like, some of, some of these scars that he's dealing with are pretty nasty, but it doesn't stop him. It doesn't stop him from being the player that he is. And I am... Very excited for how this is going to go for the rest of this season because it just doesn't feel like he's stopping. Uh, Tyler, idea for a show during the All-Star break, top 10 all-time Jokic plays. I only say that because that double spin move he put on Bam was jaw-dropping. It was, Tyler. It was. This was a really, really fun game for Jokic from a post-up perspective. You don't see that that often with Jokic where teams will let him go one-on-one. 
Uh, sometimes when he gets below the free throw line, they will uh, let him go one-on-one depending on the matchup. But it always feels like Jokic is very capable when he puts his guy in the rim. Jokic, when he doesn't settle, when he's always driving to the rim, he's always in a good place where he can get up those efficient shots. Even if they're at weird angles, it's just something that he consistently does and, and has done well for a long, long time. But I've been very impressed. Uh, I mean, how can you how can you not be with a guy like Jokic, right? How can you not be? But it's a good idea, Tyler. I will try to put together an all-time playlist. I also think that there are going to be some things uh, to talk about, like at the beginning of the All-Star break, at the end of the All-Star break. I'm hoping to have a couple fun surprises for everybody. That's the hope. And I think I'm going to be going to Cleveland to cover the first game back from the All-Star break. So there will be some good things to come from that. Hopefully, uh, the, the last time I went on a trip, I got that good Jamal Murray story. My hope is to uh, go cover that and maybe I could get some some Jokic content, some other, some other things. <laughs> Hurricane. <laughs> Sorry to hear that, Ryan, about me going to Cleveland. Yeah, I mean, I get it. I get it. It's it's not everybody's uh, first choice. It, it wasn't my first choice, but we move. We have a good time with it. We're going to bring some good content no matter what. And I like Jokic. I'm a, I'm a, a burden of consistency over here. It's just what I do. Michael Porter Jr. A, a good night for Michael Porter, despite the fact that he didn't shoot as efficiently as he normally does. Uh, let me explain. Michael Porter took 13 threes tonight. It was his most of the season. And it was a it was one off of his career high. He had 14 threes attempted in a game at one point, and that was great. Like le- letting Michael Porter shoot a whole heck of a lot of threes is usually a good idea. And I think if it were if it were him, he's probably grading himself like, man, based off of the looks I got tonight, I should have went nine of thirteen or ten of thirteen. And there was potential for him to get up to that number, but it was the one two pointer. That he had that really st- that really sealed the deal for Denver, and then there was a couple defensive plays in the fourth quarter as well. But the one two pointer that I'm talking about, he's in kind of semi transition, filling the the wing the the lane on the wing, excuse me, on the right side of the floor, and he gets the ball against Max Struess and looks up, realizes there's nobody there under the rim, and he drives right past Max Struess, hits a contested layup over the top of him, and it was just one of those plays where you realize. Yeah, he doesn't do that that often. He really doesn't. And and him being able to get back to doing that consistently would be super beneficial for this Nuggets team, where if he can take advantage and leverage the fact that he took 13 threes tonight and say, okay, my man is guarding me too close now because he thinks I'm going to shoot it. Let me just drive right by him. The lack of athleticism or, or, or lowered athleticism in general, I think has has bitten him a little bit a couple times this year. But if it's coming back and if he gets to a point where he doesn't always have to like make an athletic drive, he can just time it up a little bit like he did tonight, then there are going to be plenty of opportunities for the dude to make awesome plays. And for him to do what he did tonight on that end of the floor, hitting five threes and being that threat, but also being able to drive to the rim, that's a big deal. I hope that he continues to use that because sometimes, like I think tonight he, he relied on his jumper even too much. Mixing in some of those other drives without turning the ball over would be a good thing. The defensive side of it, he got switched onto Jimmy Butler so much tonight, doing a whole heck of a lot on that end of the floor. And I do think 
that he is I think that he's a fine defender now. He's not a five alarm fire anymore, but I think it is also overstated the level of defensive impact that he has on the team. It's only when he's playing connected. It's only when he's playing on a string with the rest of the group. And I think there were some times tonight where he was a little bit slow. But when he locked in in the fourth quarter and switched on to Jimmy Butler a couple times, switched in and helped off of that uh, Bam Adebayo post up where he deflected a ball, got a steal. And then he blocked Jimmy Butler in isolation where Jimmy tried to go right at him and MPJ was just not having any of it. Him being able to use his hands and, and play a smart level of defense as opposed to just trying to use his wingspan the entire time, that is way better. It is just a way healthier way for him to contribute. He's always going to be in a position where he, he's never going to not have a seven-foot wingspan. He's never going to not be 6'10", but finding ways for him to be smarter with his hands, finding ways for him to use that wingspan to his advantage, that is going to help. That is going to be a way bigger deal for the dude. And if he is going to want to stay on the floor in playoff situations, even when his shot isn't going down, then he's going to have to find other ways to contribute like that. Uh, but him being able to switch on to Jimmy Butler, have the Miami Heat think twice about just taking on that matchup, that would be a great thing. Jimmy was fine tonight. He was pretty good. I thought he was way better in the first half, though, than in the second half. And I thought that Porter's defense was better in the second half than it was in the first. So those probably have a nice correlation there. Hopefully, Porter can continue to build upon that, and we will see if he can actually do it. Next, uh, KCP. He was the primary Jimmy Butler defender tonight. Really good defensive player, really helpful defensive player, but it was the six assists that I really want to point to. He also had, he went two of three from three tonight. So a couple of previous opportunities that he had shooting from three didn't go as well. Tonight, he hits two of them on three shots. Didn't take a lot of shots tonight, but he was a really, really good facilitator for what the Nuggets needed. They were facing zone. They were facing kind of matchup looks, a lot of switching. And KCP was the guy who really took advantage of that. He didn't have, I think Porter had 13 threes. KCP had three. I think that that was just kind of a, a leverage of the way that the Miami Heat were defending Denver. But KCP made an imprint. He did some stuff. And Denver having guys that, as role players, can continue to do things, even when they're not shooting a whole heck of a lot, that is such a big deal for this Nuggets team and, and why the Jokic-led offense, why Denver's spread it out, help out each other kind of offense why it is such a big deal. It is going to be impossible for teams to guard Denver when KCP can rack up six assists. Like, that's just one of those things where it's, it's it's sometimes it's a little bit weird. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it should be that way. But because Denver has a lot of guys that are smart, that can share the ball, and that can do a lot of different things on the floor, you're going to always benefit from it. You're always going to get a, up a good shot. And Denver always got up a good shot tonight. When they weren't turning the ball over, they got up a good shot on basically 90% of the possessions. So that's what you're hoping for. And KCP fits right into that scheme. Defended Jimmy Butler reasonably well. Always like Denver kind of got switched off of that matchup for sure. But it, it is what it is. Like you've, you've got to find guys who are capable of doing both on and off ball defense. And KCP clearly does that at a reasonably high level. He staggered with the bench tonight and was fine. 
I thought that he was a guy who he probably could have taken more shots when he was with the bench. Thought that there was a lot of Ish Smith. Thought that there was a lot of Jeff Green. We'll get to that in the second segment. Bruce Brown. Uh, another game where not really a fan of the way that he point guarded. Not really a fan of the way that he attacked the defense on either end of the on on, on either end of the floor actually. But thirty two minutes for Bruce, sixteen points. Him hitting three threes, it's a big deal. Three of seven from three in a tough environment, that's great. Like it's it's hard for me to sit here and complain and say, oh yeah, I wish you were better in this category or that or that category. But he did good things. And Denver going up against a pretty tough team tonight. Bruce was one of the guys that stepped up in a big way. There was one possession right at the end where he, like, I think he's one of the catalysts for why the game was as close as it was because he hit some good threes. He hit some important shots, but also there were several possessions towards the end of the game where Jokic did not touch the ball when he probably should have. And Bruce is the point guard there. He's got to find a way to get Jokic the ball because when Jokic makes decisions every single time tonight, was really good. He was 12 of 14 from the field and had zero turnovers. That's a really good thing. If Bruce is going to be the point guard, if he's going to be the guy in that situation and do everything that he needs to do to fit into the system here, he's got to find a way to set up Jokic more than he did tonight. There were some plays where he did a pretty good job, sometimes where he didn't. And look, this is a learning process, a learning curve. Miami is a really good defense. So Finding opportunities for him to set him up even a little bit better probably would have helped Denver separate tonight, but look, is what it is. He hit a number of threes. He made a couple of defensive plays, made a defensive gaffe at the end, fouling Max Struess went up five and he fouled him on a three-pointer. So there are some things that Bruce, because he's playing so hard, because he's playing so aggressively, sometimes he's going to do and and you're going to have to live with it at various points. but. He is a very helpful player. I am curious to see how his role shifts when Denver's all healthy and Reggie Jackson is here. I don't know what it's going to look like. Is Bruce still going to play 25 to 30 minutes off the bench? Is he going to play closer to 20 to 25? And is he going to play as much backup point guard? I think it's a fair question. So we will see, but hopefully he continues to fit in well. Hopefully he continues to do what he needs to do. And finally, for the starters, Vlako Chanchar, 28 minutes, 10 points, 4 of 6 from the field. But the real keys here were the everything else kind of plays. He had a couple cuts. He had a couple nice plays where he really was just in the right place at the right time, did a good job of reading the defense. The most important thing is he's facilitating. He is creating for others. He is filling in the gaps of what the Nuggets needed. Five rebounds were big, including that last one that he had where he grabbed the off uh, the missed free throw intentionally attempt that Max Drews put out there. And Flacco was just right there. Cleaned it up. No problem. No issues. And had six assists, including a clutch pass to Bruce Brown in the corner for one of those threes that I mentioned before. And he also had this awesome block on Max Drews, where unlike what Bruce did, where he kind of fouled him and, and was too aggressive there. Vlaco got right up into his grill, but did so kind of from the front as opposed to the side and did a great job of getting his hand right on the ball. And it was just one of those awesome plays that really surprises you out of nowhere. So Vlaco's just one of those guys that has really taken advantage of this time. And I put out on Twitter today, I think he is a 
everyday rotation player. I think he is a guy who is just going to be there for your team over Jeff Green. Uh, even if he's playing over Christian Brown at various points, I think that Flacco is just one of those guys that has to be on the court because of what he does to connect the team together. I think him and Thomas Bryant will work pretty well together. Denver's defense probably not going to be as good with that second unit, which is why Christian Brown, Bruce Brown have to be out there. But I do think that if Vlacko is going to be a part of things, it's going to be helpful for this Nuggets team. I think that Vlacko has done a great job overall of being just a helpful player. So still a little bit turnover prone at times. Had a ball go through his hands, threw a ball out of bounds basically, or, or sent KCP out of bounds trying to catch the ball. But look, I like what Vlacko does. I think that the Nuggets are feeling very pretty confident about where he's at and what he can contribute. Is he going to be an every night playoff player? Maybe, maybe not. We're just going to have to see. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to discuss our bench lineup and, and how the Denver Nuggets have come together on that end of the floor. But first, this podcast, as you know, it's brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. The final drive is here. Or actually, that's not true. Uh, the final drive just passed. There's no doubt about that. There's no better place still, even after the football title tilt, to watch Super or to bet with your friends and your your coworkers and whoever you want to bet with over at Superbook Sports. They feature a great menu of prop bets in the business, best in the business. Check out their special odds boosts and promotions at Superbook.com. With over three decades of odds making experience in Las Vegas, there's no better place to wager than Superbook Sports. Win some money this year. Take advantage of how awesome the Denver Nuggets are. Uh, just make sure to download the Superbook Sports app today. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. All right, we are back. Pickaxe and roll. Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support on the podcast, as always, everybody. If you can, it'd be awesome if you could rate, review, and subscribe to the pod on Apple if you're watching over there. Give it a like on YouTube if you're watching right now. Uh, Make sure to subscribe to the MHS YouTube channel, which does great content beyond just me. You have the Let's Talk Broncos podcast, which has been on there, doing great things always. We do AMAs all the time on this channel. There's a lot of good stuff that you can go consume and, and, and go enjoy just beyond me. So really appreciate y'all hopping in and getting going live with me. Uh, we're, we're nearly at 11 o'clock at night, which is awesome, but been very, very awesome to do this. Um, holy cow. We're at uh, 1,100 subscribers already. We just passed 1,000 very, like, very soon. Uh, it's been fantastic to see. So thank you so much, everybody, for doing what you do. It does mean the world. All right, let's get back to what we were talking about, and we're going to start with the bench lineup. We are going to start with everything that's been going on with the bench so far, the lineup tonight, and everybody, I think, enjoy will enjoy this for sure. You get the debut of Thomas Bryant. Get the debut of one of Denver's players that they added at the trade deadline. Very helpful piece. 
very helpful bench big that is going to be just one of those guys that Denver, I think Nuggets fans are going to love Thomas Bryant. I think they're going to love his shooting efficiency, his willingness and ability to go crash the glass and work hard. And he's going to be a good pick and roll target. Just somebody who I think everybody can be pretty happy with on that end of the floor. But the lineup tonight, Ish Smith, KCP, Christian Brown, Jeff Green, Thomas Bryant. Obviously, without Jamal Murray, without Aaron Gordon, you had Bruce Brown, and you had Flacco Chanchar introduced into that starting lineup. So this bench group is probably not going to be the bench group that plays major minutes, that plays a whole bunch of time in the playoffs. But I do think that it's going to be a, a group that Denver can absolutely use, that they can at least go to and feel pretty good against this Miami Heat team that, like, look, if you look at the plus minuses for this group tonight, Jeff Green led or tied for the team lead, actually was second behind Michael Porter at plus five. Thomas Bryant, all the minutes without Nikola Jokic, minus one. Ish Smith, plus one. Christian Brown, plus four. That's pretty good. If your non-Jokic minutes are minus one, then Denver's in a good place. They're in a really, really, really good spot. And this is what Thomas Bryant adds. This is what he's hoping, or what Nuggets fans are hoping that he can do. 14 minutes tonight, he had 10 points, four of five from the field, two of two from the line. And a couple of those baskets were really, really impressive. Let me say why. Only two rebounds tonight, but one of them was an offensive rebound on his first basket, where he got the ball right under the rim off of, I'm pretty sure it was a drive by Jeff Green baseline. Jeff Green dumps the ball off to him in the middle of the zone where everybody's kind of rotated over to meet Jeff. And Jeff actually, he gives a great pass right to Thomas Bryant, right to the front of the rim. And Thomas misses it off of the kind of the contested layup, but gets his own rebound, powers it back up for a layup. And it's those kind of possessions that DeAndre Jordan wasn't great with the putbacks this year. Zeke Naji, a little bit small, not going to be a guy who uh, consistently is giving you that. He does some good things, but I don't think that he's going to be as dynamic of an offensive player as Thomas Bryant is. And being able to do what he did tonight in pick and roll, on an offensive rebounding, and then he also ran the floor tonight on an early possession in the second quarter, and he ran the floor after a contest, sealed his man, which I think was a point guard, because he ran the floor and got cross-matched, and then buried him right under the rim and just did a little bit of a flip shot as he caught it and just flipped the ball right over. He is going to be helpful. He's going to bring some energy, uh, some of that, uh, like he can get down the floor, he can do some good things. There are some things that Jeff Green, DeAndre Jordan just can't do at this stage in their careers, and that's fine. Like They're, they're in different stages and have different strengths, different weaknesses. But for Thomas Bryant, as a young guy, somebody who is still going to be consistently helpful, this is his role. This is how he has to stay on the floor. If he can earn extra possessions like that, earn easy baskets like that, if he can minimize that plus minus, where he's only a minus one tonight, and it could have been even better. If he was minus one, and Jokic is just positive in his time then Denver's going to win almost all of their games. Because Jokic usually is a plus 15. Plus 10, plus 15, plus 20, whatever you want to talk. 
That's what Jokic is doing. If Thomas Bryant is keeping it within distance, net neutral, minus one, minus two, minus five even, as long as it's not minus 15 in 15 minutes, like Denver's got to have those minutes from Thomas Bryant. He gave 14 minutes tonight, and Jokic only had to play 34 minutes as a result. Like Thomas Bryant in those minutes, that's helpful. Just being out there, giving Jokic a rest, giving Jokic a breather, especially in the second half and all of these other minutes that Denver's going to have to play. Jokic can rest. He can rest during that time and be better in his minutes as a result. That's at least the hope. I, I know that Jokic, like, he can play more. He can play 36, 38, 40 minutes if need be. But why do it? Why? Especially for a team that is first in the West, that is gearing up for the playoffs, and that is doing everything that it can to win a championship. Why give those extra regular season minutes to Jokic when you can give it to a guy like Thomas Bryant, who is just providing energy and doing a whole heck of a lot? And he doesn't even know the playbook yet. Like the dude, once out, once you get after the All Star break, I think it's going to look way different. Partially because you're going to get Reggie Jackson throwing pick and roll passes to him too, but there's going to be a lot. I think this is an exciting part of the season for Denver for sure. Um, Rob says I can see Bryant getting twenty a night, maybe even a few with Jokic just for different looks to make the other team deal with. I don't think so. I think that. One of the things just watching Thomas Bryant today, he's not a rim protector at all. He's not going to move his feet really well. And that's going to be one of those things where, all right, it's it's an interesting look. Maybe it's something that Denver throws against a really big team. But if he can't, like he's not really going to space the floor and he's not really going to dominate around the rim, I don't think. But it wouldn't surprise me if they, like maybe they try it and you just see what happens on a night. Maybe it's against a bad team. And so you don't have to necessarily worry about the ramifications of that. But would I want to try it against the Boston Celtics? No. Would I want to try it against the Milwaukee Bucks? Probably not. Uh, could I see them doing it against the Houston Rockets or San Antonio Spurs? Sure. Yeah, just see what it looks like. Um, Dylan says, Bryant is good enough to cover the bench scoring we needed from Bones. Can go for 20 at any given time. Whilst being better, a lot of backup bigs he's going to come up against. Yeah, there's there's something to it, man. I think that there's an exciting part of this for Denver where the expectations are super low in general for just having to do a whole heck of a lot. But if he's in a position where they're staggering different guys, he can play with Murray a little bit, he can play with Aaron Gordon a little bit, there's going to be some great opportunities for him to play even beyond this and just kind of take advantage of all this situation that Denver has. So hopefully they continue to go that way. Christian Brown, 26 minutes, 10 points, four rebounds, four assists, one steal. This was a good game for Christian Brown. Not a great game because I think that there were definitely some moments where if you are Christian Brown, if you're in this situation where you've been put into a really, really tough spot by Denver, they trust you so, so much. He has a lot of pressure on him right now. He got lost tonight uh, guarding Miami. I think that there are a lot of possessions where he just wasn't in the right place, uh, was slow out on rotations, didn't really recognize the, the proper uh, places to jump out, 
or slide his feet or anything. And he got also got closed out on. And some some guy like he he closed out and then got blown by. There were some times where I think this was actually a bad defensive game for Christian Brown in general. But him being able to do what he did offensively, where you add 10 points and five assists or four assists to what was kind of a, a not great defensive game, and it kind of makes up for that. So often this year, Christian Brown has been in that situation where he misses a couple shots. He doesn't really get involved as a playmaker, might grab a couple of rebounds, but he can have lines where he finishes with like zero points, two rebounds, one assist, no steals, and then is a minus 15 because the bench has been bad. This was different. He was a plus four. He found ways to contribute, even if it wasn't in the traditional way that he normally does. He had a pull-up jumper today from a two-point range. It was like a 21-footer, very random place for him to be shooting, but he hit it. And he hits these cross-court kick-out threes where he catches the ball from Jokic and then drains it. He Actually, it wasn't from Jokic, that one. This one was from Jeff Green-ish Smith, one of the two. But him being able to do that and then drive to the rim, make some plays, he had a really nice tip-in off of an offensive rebound. Like him, He's finding ways to continue to contribute. And that is an exciting factor in all of this, where he's becoming a little bit more versatile, not necessarily just being a 3 and D kind of player, or just D. Like He's going to be a guy who contributes in a lot of different ways. And if it's going to be 10 points or three points or four assists or seven rebounds or four steals like he had last game, like there are going to be ways where he can contribute. And he fills up the box score in just a few different ways. And that makes it really, really easy to justify what he's been doing and why he plays as much as he does. So hopefully he continues to do that. Hopefully he continues to find ways to contribute in a variety of different ways because that's how you stay on the floor. It's playing confident, playing basketball, and not just pigeonholing yourself into a role. Like This isn't the Houston Rockets of old where you have James Harden and Chris Paul and then a whole bunch of 3 and D guys that do nothing other than grab rebounds and hit threes. Like It's a little bit different than that. Christian has to be involved, and I think they're trusting him to do a little bit more. There are a couple plays where he brought the ball up the floor tonight, Couple plays where he initiated the offense, even if he wasn't making the final decision. Like the dude is just helpful. That's good. Jeff Green. Um, it's tough. Like sometimes I I like what Jeff Green does. Sometimes I don't like what Jeff Green does. I think that there are definitely some possessions tonight where he's left a little bit to be desired, left a little bit more on the bone than probably there could have been. But overall, it's hard to argue with the results. Plus five. Tonight in his 20 minutes, kind of like Christian Brown, just doing a lot of different things. 20 minutes tonight, 12 points, 4 of 9 from the field. The three-point shot is a problem. Like, that's going to be something that I think, if you want to maximize Thomas Bryant as a roller, if you want to maximize what you're doing on defense, you're going to have to find ways to add just a few more impactful minutes at that spot. But for the time being, 4 for 4 from the line. For Jeff Green is really good. Two rebounds, one assist, one turnover. It's all fine. It's all pretty standard stuff. Nothing crazy. But I do like some of the possessions that Jeff Green has. There was one where Ish Smith drives. He drove the baseline or, or drove the lane and, and then kind of wrapped around the baseline and was going to kick out to 
Christian Brown, who was then cutting. And then he saw Christian Brown cutting and he saw Jeff Green cutting from distance. Hits Jeff Green on the run and Jeff Green just throws it down uh, off of the, just kind of flying into the lane, kind of like what LeBron does, where he will cut into the paint when he sees an open lane and then will kind of hammer it down. Nice to see Jeff Green kind of doing that. That's a good way for him to get involved because sometimes he will uh, he'll draw a foul in those situations and sometimes he will do even more than that and dunk it down like he did tonight. So hopefully he continues to do that. Uh, I still kind of think that once Denver gets healthy, Flacco's going to be that backup four and Jeff probably isn't going to play as much. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. I think Denver's rotation is stacked, and this is kind of how it should be. Is you have so many talented players that sometimes the other players don't play. So hopefully Denver gets to that place where we can actually have those discussions and don't really have to talk about, oh, man, they were down three starters tonight, so Jeff Green had to play 40 minutes. Like, you don't want that. Nobody wants that. Um, And finally, Ish Smith, kind of back-to-back nights where he wasn't really a scorer. Didn't really help as a shooter tonight, but he was a helpful passer. He was a guy who facilitated offense for the rest of the group. I think the way that Miami defended him and defended Denver in general, where they were switching a whole lot, they were playing some zone, they were doing a lot. It, it wasn't necessarily a game where Ish could just break down a guy off the dribble. And sometimes he did. There was one possession that he had where he got to the rim and made a really nice move to get the layup that he did. but. Six assists, two turnovers, plus one, 16 minutes. That's perfectly fine. There's nothing to really be concerned about there. I do think that his defense was bad. His defense was bad tonight. A couple possessions where he just couldn't really stay in front of the dude that he was guarding. And that's probably something where his defense has slid over the course of these last two, three weeks or so. There were times earlier on in the year where he was playing much better defense. Now I think it it hasn't been as impactful. Maybe it's just the circumstance. Maybe it's just him playing a little bit more. But I don't think the defense has been as good lately, and that's fine. Denver's going to be okay. Uh, But I do think that Ish, once Reddy Jackson comes, probably going to be one of those other guys that sits down too. And that's fine. He has done his job and will continue to do his job as a veteran leader. That's what Denver needs. All right. Good win for Denver. Good stuff. Denver didn't really need to do anything too crazy tonight. Like, Jokic played a great game. Don't get me wrong, but this is well within the regard of what a Jokic game looks like. And Michael Porter hit five threes, but he took 13 threes to do it. So this wasn't a crazy game by anybody. But Denver getting a tough win on the road against an Eastern Conference playoff opponent, that's a great thing. And Denver's in a great spot. So good win for them. When we come back... We are going to go over the beef. We're going to go over the Jamal Bone stuff. Should be very, very fun. Final segment, pickaxe and roll. Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support on the podcast, everybody. Make sure to go give this a like on YouTube if you can. All right. Let's do... Oh, yeah. Hey, Rob, thank you so much. 
Uh, hit the like, fellas. Do our boy a solid. Get this man paid. We love to see it. We love to see it. This is great. Oh, I forgot. And, and now, welcome back in. It is episode 420. Um, I didn't. Uh, I didn't blaze too much. That would not not today. That's just that's just not where I was today. But we have a good time here. We have a we have a very good time on the pickaxe and roll show. Uh, all right, good stuff for everybody involved tonight. Denver Nuggets forty and eighteen record, twenty six and four at home, fourteen and fourteen on the road. Back to five hundred on the road as they come back home. Nice to see they're going to finish the first uh, portion before the All-Star break as a team that is above or at least at 500 on the road, which is great. There are very few teams that can actually say that. Let's go through the Eastern Conference. You have one, two, three, four, five, five teams that are above 500 in the East. Then in the West, you have one. Oh, yeah, that's right. There's only one other team. It's the Sacramento Kings. The Sacramento Kings are above 500 on the road, which is awesome. Sacramento is so, like, super, super cool. Uh, and then there are five teams in the East that are doing their thing, but they get to play the Chicago Bulls and Indiana Pacers and Orlando Magic, Charlotte Hornets, and Detroit Pistons all the time. Denver is facing a whole bunch of teams that are competing for the playoffs, even at the bottom of the West. So it's always part of that. It's like, that's always something that Denver's going to have to deal with. But look, 40 and 18 record is great. They are the first first place in the Western Conference. They are the second team in the NBA with 40 wins. And that is a great sign for where Denver's at. Phil Jackson once said this thing. If you get to 40 wins before you get to 20 losses, then you are an elite team. Like an elite team with a chance to win the title. And Denver has met that barometer. They are in that category. So according to Phil Jackson, the Nuggets are elite. And that is an exciting place to be. We are now going to track magic numbers as part of this podcast. If you don't know, good friend of the program, Matt Moore, who was on the one of the previous episodes, he tracks magic numbers religiously for a whole bunch of teams. I'm going to try to simplify it down to Denver. I'm going to try to simplify it down to what Nuggets fans need to know. Magic numbers for Denver are, it kind of depends on what you're looking for, but in order for Denver to have home court advantage in the first round of the playoffs, a top four seed, their magic number is 15. And what that means is Denver right now is 40 and 18, and they are above the Dallas Mavericks, who are 31 and 28. So the Mavericks can get to 54 wins if they won every single game from here. 54 wins. So that means that Denver at 40 and 18. They need 15 more wins to guarantee that they're going to place higher than the Dallas Mavericks, who are in fifth, which would then guarantee that Denver is a top four seed on the season. So that is where I get to that number. It is the combined Nuggets wins and opponent losses. That's for top four. For top one, 21, top of the West, Memphis is at 34 and 22. They can get to 60 wins if they won every single game from here. That's not going to happen, but if they won all 60 games, then Denver would need to get to 61. So Denver, their magic number to get that Western Conference top seed is 21. That means that anytime Memphis loses, that magic number goes down. Anytime the Nuggets win, 
that number goes down. It is the number that allows Denver to clinch whenever they get to various places within their schedule. So, should be good. What's up, Gordon? Found a live pod with Ryan. Thank you so much for hopping in. Uh, Yeah, and Rob says 500 on the road is the goal going into the season. W, all the damn back-to-backs we've had in the early travel schedule, 500 is pretty dang good. I feel pretty good about it. I know I've been I've been talking about it. I've been hard on Denver for their road schedule. But the fact is that Denver is in a really good spot. It is really hard to complain about where they are at. And I do think that Denver at this point is in a great spot where they can get the one seed, as Rob also mentions in this comment. Being up five on Memphis right now with 24 games is crazy. A lot of winnable games left uh, is going to be very, very good. It's Denver's in a great spot. So last thing I want to talk about on this show, this thing, this thing that's that's popped up over the course of these past few few days, Jamal versus Bones. Jamal versus Bones is, it's real to some people and not real to others. To me, I think that this is one of those things where, look, let me give a, a little bit of a backstory here. Bones gets drafted 26th overall. 2021 NBA draft. He hasn't seen Jamal play. Like he he's watched highlights and obviously like that's going to be a thing, but never actually actually seen Jamal play in person. And those guys very competitive even in the offseason even when Jamal was still injured. He had a quote back in the day that was like, "Oh yeah, I had to had to set the rookie back in his place. I had to, I had to let him know who I am basically." And Jamal is very competitive like that. He's always going to be uh, trying to prove himself because I think there's a situation where Bones is just the hot shot coming in. Jamal's the the guy who's been in place and you want to at least kind of establish a pecking order. But that pecking order took until this year in order to really establish. And it was for that time that Bones then had a really successful rookie season with Denver. It's very, very good. And it's tough that things have kind of spiraled the way that they were because the trajectory that Bones was on pretty close to star status. Like the dude could have been a star in Denver if he stuck the course, if he did what he was asked to do. Obviously things change. Denver, I think what they have done now is when they staggered Jamal with the second unit, they were trying to put more resources into the second unit, make things easier for Bones so he didn't have to carry as much of the load. And because of that, those guys never meshed. They never really connected together in a way that I think everybody was hoping for. And the bench was still bad in that circumstance. I think that Denver could have done other things to try to help it out a little bit more. But the fact is, is that it wasn't a good group and it didn't work. And Jamal isn't the guy that you're going to look to get better in that situation because he's coming back from an ACL. He's trying his best. And then he did do better. And he did find out some ways to get things done. And there were some times where Bones missed and Zeke Naji was in its center and the lineups with Bones out and Zeke Naji at center and Jamal being being out there with the second unit. It's actually a pretty successful group. And Denver found a way to win in those situations without Bones. And so he became less needed, less necessary. And so Denver found like that they didn't need to kind of catered to what he was wanting. And he wanted a big role. He wanted an opportunity to showcase what he could do. And he didn't get it. 
He didn't get it to the degree that he wanted, although he still leads the team in usage rate right now because Denver did give him the ball. They did try to put him into a position where he could score and pass and playmake and, and run the second unit in the way that he could. I don't think that they set him up for that much success, but they set him up for a large role, which is what he wanted. So it's a double-edged sword. Jamal found ways to make it work, and Bones didn't. Bones is still learning. Bones has to learn. Like There's just stuff that Jamal has done throughout his career that he's, he's gone through this process all the time. He knows what to do, and so he was able to get up to speed and do those things. And then Bones gets traded. Probably not for as much as I think he was hoping to go for. He only went for two second-round picks. And now he's in L.A. And there were some good things that, that came from that for Denver. Like they're going to get Reggie Jackson, who's a former L.A. Clipper starting point guard. So we're going to actually get a very interesting back and forth between Reggie Jackson and Bones Highland to see who is more successful in their individual spots and, and whether Denver was a better situation or whether the LA Clippers were a better situation. So that should be pretty interesting. But in general, this beef between Jamal and Bones, it kind of started, uh, not really started. There, there have been some things going on behind the scenes. Those guys clashed on style. Those guys clashed on how often they had the ball, on defense, on finding ways to impact the team from game to game. And in those minutes where Jamal and Bones shared the floor together, there was this tug of war between what Denver wanted Bones to do, what Bones wanted Bones to do, what Jamal wanted Bones to do, and kind of trying to find what the necessary balance was there. Denver could never strike it. And as a result, those guys, I think, kind of grew resentful in a lot of ways. Not in each other as people. Those guys are still friends. Like, maybe not friends is probably the wrong word, but they still want the best for each other. I don't think there's any animosity there, but they clashed on the court. And there's no doubt about that. You can see it. And you can see it in the way that they handled it, both individually and together as a team. But I think when Bone or when Jamal said what he said about falling into line and everybody playing their role, that was a problem for a lot of people. Bones and his camp, I think specifically, took a lot of offense to that. Even though it was about Vlako Chanchar, uh, Jamal, when he followed up on that online, uh, it's something that everybody kind of assumes was about Bones, but there's been no confirmation one way or the other. I think that there's been a lot read into it about those guys having animosity for each other, but I do think that Denver could, like, they, they, they could sense it boiling over. They could sense it getting to a point where this was going to be a problem. And so Bones only went for two second-round picks. Bones only went for what was considered pretty low value because of the situation. So Bones today, in his press, in his press conference with uh, the LA Clippers, the introductory press conference, here's an actual quote that came out from it. It was a great experience playing with Joker. Two guys over here who are phenomenal talents. And over there, there's, only, there's one guy with phenomenal talent as well. Bones then later went online and was like, uh, "Like you guys are reading too much into this. There's like me and Molly are good. There's no doubt about it. Like he could have also said Jamal. He didn't say Jamal. He could have, he, like he was being asked about the comparisons between 
Jamal and Joker, and Kawhi and PG, which I think is a very fair question. The, in each of those duos, by the way, has had varying degrees of success, but they're, they've reached the same peak level together. Actually, that's not true. The Clippers, they reached the Western Conference Finals without Kawhi. In the Game 4, he went down, and then they're able to continue to progress on. So what Jamal did in the bubble, some people credit it, some people don't. Uh, I credit it because I saw the work that he put in, saw everything that kind of went into that, and the Nuggets fans in general, they credit that bubble as well, as as they should. Like, it was a big deal, and it was a very difficult situation that the Clippers didn't deal with that well, and Jamal and the Nuggets did. So it's one of those things where I kind of take offense to that, just as somebody who, who enjoyed what Jamal did, who saw the level that he reached, and was clearly at least on par with what Paul George was able to provide in the playoffs. Like, that was very clear. And I think if you look back at their top playoff peaks between Jamal and Paul George, I think you see pretty similar players in general. Sometimes Paul George has great defensive possessions. Sometimes he doesn't, like especially lately. So I do think that Denver at this stage, they're going to be – uh, they're 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 not super pleased with the way that this has gone down, but Bones was always kind of liable to be a little bit more verbal, a little bit more like in this situation where he was uh, like. Actually, here let me let me pull up this from Todd. This is actually this is fair. Joker, PG, Kawhi all made multiple All Star games. Jamal still yet to reach an All Star game. Look, I get it from a from a accolades perspective, from a credit perspective from the league. Jamal hasn't had that. But as Ryan Andrew says, Jamal was otherworldly in the bubble. All-time playoff performance. That is something that PG has never done. It's something that other guys in their careers have never done. Like it's it's a is a weird line where Jamal has just leveled up as a playoff player, but in the regular season, he has not been that dude consistently. So I think it's fair to kind of give that slight. I think it's fair to be offended by that slight. The good news for Denver, though, is that they get to solve this and that this doesn't have to be a thing going forward because the Nuggets and Clippers, they play each other. They play February 26th at Ball Arena on ESPN. Should be a lot of fun. This is going to have some fanfare. And you best believe that after the All-Star break, even though it is the second night of a back-to-back for Denver, they are going to be ready for it and Jamal is going to be ready for it. He will play. I do not care what right knee inflammation says or anything like that. He is going to move heaven and earth to be able to play on that game. I think Bones is going to do the same. He's going to be lobbying. And I think that Ty Lue, who's a good player's coach, he's going to know how much that means to Bones to get an opportunity to play and to uh, try to cement some, some bad feelings. So there will be some opportunities where those guys face each other. I feel pretty comfortable with that. And if it comes down to it, you better believe that Jamal is going to post up Bones. You better believe that Bones is going to ISO Jamal. You better believe that it's going to be a lot of fun. And honestly, that's what drama is all about. Like, do I feel like I'm not, I'm not offended by Bones having this like bravado about him and, and wanting to be the best player that he can be, feeling like he's going to be a better option going forward than Jamal, somebody who 
Uh, has not made an all-star game yet, but I, even though I think that he would had he not torn his ACL, I think he's in a great spot, Jamal is, to when he comes back when he's healthy, to really remind the pecking order here, to really bring that about and say, look, this is where things stand. The Nuggets, we dominate the Clippers. The Clippers, you do not beat the Nuggets. Jamal, I am better than Bones. Bones, you are not better than Jamal. That is what I think the Nuggets fans are hoping for. That is what Jamal, I think, would be wanting to prove. And there will be an opportunity to do so on February 26th. Going to be great. Going to be enjoyable. I am excited to see the fireworks. I don't blame Bones for being fiery. I don't blame him for catering to his fan base a little bit. I also don't blame him for being a little bit salty. But when you talk, it's going to leave you open. And Denver, they have a lot to, to navigate over the course of these next couple of weeks. Should be a lot of fun. All right, folks. I think that is going to do it here for this particular podcast. Fun show. Really good show. I'm really excited for where things go. Uh, not going to be as many shows over the course of this week, but I will have one on Wednesday. I think I'll probably have one on Thursday as well. Kind of a... Uh, in memoriam for the pre-All-Star break stuff should be great. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Really excited to continue to get this show off the ground. Look, we've got 77 people in here. We are continuing to thrive, have a good time. Like, this is way after the game, and we're having a grand old time. Hit that like button on your way out. Thank you so much for chatting, everybody, for hopping in. Really excited to keep this going. All right. Have a good one, guys.